Welcome to the Boomtown Hoops podcast. I am your host, Evan, joined this week by my co-host, Cade. Cade, we've had some fun Thunder stuff the last couple of days. How's it going, man? I've watched uh, SGA's half-court shot probably 45 (laughs) times a day, and the rest of the highlights at least 15. And the only reason it's not more is because my phone probably died. So... (laughs) You know what, we can, it's it just us two today, and we can jump just right right into that game. I know the guys talked about last night on uh, on stuff too, but let's let's just hop right in. The Thunder beat the Lakers uh, 107 to 104 on Thursday night. We're recording this on Friday, so, you know, depending on when this gets put out. Um, don't want to timestamp it too hard there, but SGA, obviously the story of the night, 28 points, six assists. I believe he assisted or scored on 20 of the last 26 points in the game he's uh three rebounds as well four of seven from three and that obviously includes the shot you're just mentioning right that that bomb from the l on on the lakers half court logo uh to kind of clinch that game with under a minute and a half left i've got to ask like what what was your reaction when he pulled up for that shot and then when it went in because i feel like it's like like, two different reactions i was only like 20 percent ready for it because like i knew he wanted to take over you could see I can't remember quite who got the rebound, but he was over there clapping for the ball. He wanted it. I was like, this is about to be a moment. I don't know what's going to happen, but it's going to be a mm-hmm. moment. So, like, I kind of braced myself for him to try and do something cool, and it was that. And I was just, like, really shocked and just confused. So, our, our guy, uh, Jackson, asked in the Discord, we took a couple of questions for this week. One of his questions was, is, is SGA the best player to ever live? I'm going to rephrase that a little bit and ask you, and I'll ask myself the same question. Do you remember a Thunder player taking and making a shot that deep? Like besides like a, like a heave. The only one I remember is the Westbrook shot against the magic, the last KD year. Other than that, I was thinking, I don't remember like any kind of non heave shot like that. And you know, Westbrook's at the buzzer. That was with 18 seconds on the shot clock last night. Yeah, that was just a, I'm going to pull this. Like, this is my moment. I think the other one, and it's a heave, but this is one that I have a vivid memory of, is Kevin Durant versus the Mavericks. I think it was a playoff series, and he shot a game winner. I think that's who they were playing. I can't I remember think, details. I think I think that actually may have been the the opener, the, lock, the, the, the lockdown year. So, they you know, they okay. had just lost to the Mavs in the 11 – Western Conference Finals, and I think they opened with them. That that was like their first or second game or something. And and yeah, I, I remember that shot. But, too. but like when when SGA pulled up for that shot, I I was just like in complete shock because you know he's he's taken some deeper threes a little bit this year, but nothing even close to that. And right after he shot it, well, first of all, when he made it, I like I I made a noise. I can't tell you what that noise was. I can't tell you the last time I made a noise like that watching a Thunder game, probably multiple years, <laughs> multiple seasons, maybe not multiple years, but multiple seasons uh, at this point. And it's just, it was unbelievable. And to me, it was kind of his, uh, his, I'm tired of these double teams shot. Like, okay, you guys are doubling me every possession. You're not going to get the chance this time. I'm just going to pull this thing from, I'd love to – I haven't seen the actual official distance. What do we think that was, like 35, 38 feet? It's, it's got to be close to 30, 35, 37, that range. Just unreal. I mean, we don't have to talk too much about Shea, but it feels like maybe we should even a little bit. 
past then just through what are they they're two and six through eight games has he exceeded expectations for you has he met expectations for you where are you kind of at with with how he's played obviously the first two games were rough and he's been pretty much awesome for the most part ever since I'm just going to look a little bit beyond stats I'm just going to say from the eye test he's definitely surpassed what I expected from him I mean every it seems like every time he takes the court you see something that he's added to become a more of an elite scorer like whether it begins to the line picking when to just take over the game and that felt like his like he said, I'm him. This is his welcome. This is- <laughs> I can't believe we went – how long are we in this podcast? We haven't even said that I'm him. Exactly. That he was screaming yet. Exactly. And it just feels like that's his, like, I'm an elite scorer. You know, give me my respect. Because mm. his shot has looked honestly really good. The, the step backs, the side steps. And then that transition pull-up three, I think, is a little bit underrated. Like, mm-hmm. I didn't expect him to shoot a shot like that, but he does. And it just kind of feels like, hey, I'm one of the top scorers in the league, and I deserve that kind of respect. And – kind of asking for it from the national media too, because we faced a lot of criticism and we'll get into that later, but it just felt like a am here moment. And then like the rest of the season, I've just seen more, a different kind of approach to how he's going to score. Like he, he's getting buckets at will almost. Mm-hmm. He, uh, I think we, we, we've seen this like with Jason Tatum um, from year to year where like, I, I think especially after his rookie year, everyone just expected like, oh, he's going to keep getting better. And he has, but he didn't really get much better in his second year. And obviously then he got a lot better again, but like with Shea, cause you know, what, what's one thing that like, I think Billy Donovan said it, Dagnall has said it a lot this year. Like it's a very thunder ism is like progression is not linear with these guys, but with Shea so far it like, it has been like that guy just gets better every time we see him play. It's, it's pretty unbelievable. And I don't have the exact stat in front of me. Um, so forgive me if I'm a little bit off, but I, I think you mentioned that sidestep three and step back. I think he's 12 of 23 on, yeah, on those attempts this year, like three percent or something just ridiculous like that. And yeah. And he's shooting like 38, 39% from three right now on seven attempts. And that's after it was his, he created his percentages through two games that were only eight games. in. so that even feels like it, it's going to get higher. And for me, one of the most impressive things uh, so far when he's dealt with these double teams is, for the most part, he's forced the issue a little bit, but for the most part, he's been very willing to just pass it off, let Giddy, let Dort, let you know Kendrick, let, let those guys make those four-on-three type of plays uh, against against the rest of the defense and that's not something you know not to like harp on Westbrook but it's just it's just the difference uh, of style between those two guys like that's not really something you would see from Russ if he's getting double teamed like that it's just it's just not his style and I've got to say I I like that from Shea I like that he trusts his teammates already that much I mean he sometimes it's to a fault like he passed it off to Dort and Dort kind of went in for that wild layup with like whatever, 35 seconds left that could have very well cost him the game that, that he yeah. didn't finish. So it doesn't always work out, but I think in the long run, that's the type of culture that this franchise wants. And it's obviously, it is immensely important when your best guy does stuff like that. Well, and I think it's, a, when you watch film, that's something you're going to pick up on too. So I think that not only is good for the culture, but good for Shea and his scoring ability is like, when someone watches film, they're like, okay, yeah, he's going to dump that off. He's going to make the extra pass. So, like, mm-hmm. we can't give everything to him. 
like when you watch, as Marcus Smart said about his fellow Celtics players, you know what Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown are going to do. You know they're going to go get buckets. You know, it's yeah, they don't, don't really want to pass. You know their tunnel vision and they can't play make. But Shea, by making that extra pass and, you know, letting Dort throw up a layup, it's just, it opens up his own game. And I think that'll be more beneficial long run too. And, and it really helps when Giddy is the guy on the wing that that receives that first bounce pass from Shea because he's got a lot of four on threes where he's ball fake shot or look like he was going to shoot and pass. And it's just like little things that that Giddy is already clearly skilled enough to do to manipulate the defense that he can create good situations uh, for the Thunder. And then there's also times like the the Kenridge three last night where the Lakers just did such a bad job uh, doing anything past the double team. That was okay. Just one more pass and Kenridge couldn't can line it up, call his mom and, and, and set up for a wide open three pointer and drill it. I I'm curious to see what it looks like from the Thunder's perspective that pass out of the double team, that four on three, when they're playing a slightly more inspired defensive team on that's going to continue playing on the back end a little bit more, but yeah, it, it's been encouraging for me to see how SGA has played so far this year. And one last thing I want to say about SGA's game is how much Giddy's presence has opened that up mm-hmm. while he's not like the best, like, you know, catch and shoot three pointer. He's going to do it. He can, he can make it, but yeah. what I like more is when SGA gets those doubles and it makes it easier for him to throw it out when you have someone like Giddy more for the reasons of last year, that was Dort last year. That was Teo. That's who he was giving it to. And those two, while good at creating for themselves and sometimes others, give Giddy the ball and let him open everything else up himself. Dort, when yeah, well, and then, and then even like at the beginning of the year, the other guy was George Hill, and like George yeah. was like a very good veteran player, but like Giddy is just the better playmaker right now than George Hill ever will be. That's just not his game. Exactly, and I think that helps more this season. It's it's helped him open up his game more because when he dumps it off, the offense doesn't get stagnant. And it helps the team more. It doesn't help Shea more, but it helps the team more. And that's that's good for the team at, at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. I'm curious what you thought of that end of the first half. That that was really where the Thunder got back in the game. That they, they were down, I want to say maybe 12 with like three, three and a half minutes left. They come back to within four at halftime. And that was the small lineup. And I believe, you know, I haven't watched every second of Thunder basketball this year, partially because I can't and partially because Bally Sports doesn't let me um, at, at certain times. But I think that's the first time I've seen them play that lineup. And we kind of talked about that a little bit. Yeah, that was uh, that was Shea, Dort, Getty, Baisley, and, 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 uh, and Ty Jerome. Ty Jerome because yeah. Ty Jerome hit the two the And two I left him for threes. last for that reason. Because for Ty Jerome, <laughs> man, it, it's just you're going to push the narrative and he's just making us look good with it. I... I think that, you know what, with his bet and, you know, JRE, he, he's a fine young big, but just like overall, when you're talking in comparison to the rest of the league, like favors and JRE, it's like with the bigs being the clear weak point of this team, why not just throw that lineup out there a little bit more and see what, what you can do with it? I mean, Giddy and, and Shea are long enough to, I mean, the play where Anthony Davis hurt his thumb, it was Shea and Dor and Giddy, I think, were all three battling him yeah. for the rebound, and Shea eventually got it. So, like, those three guys can scrap enough, and then Baisley uh, I can think, get in there as well. Like, they, they can maybe hold up okay enough that it can be interesting. Exactly. I think Baisley completely locked in on defense. He's going to be a decent small ball center. If he's locked in completely on defense, and it helps having Dort who can switch on bigs, I think – the small ball lineup is fun. I think that's like one of the more fun lineups that we've seen. 
and it showed it worked. I mean, they came back. I think mm-hmm. Baisley and Dort, they're them two playing defense together because Baisley can guard bigs when when he's locked in, I guess. Like, it's kind of iffy whether he can. But if he's locked in and playing good defense, I say run that lineup. I mean, let it let them run. Yeah, I mean, he he can't guard Anthony Davis, but no. who 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 among the living can really? I mean, yeah. so that that that's just that's just how it's gonna be. Uh, interesting. Last night, you know, Dagnall has said throughout the season there's no rotations. I have a starting lineup, and then that that's pretty much it. Uh, last night we saw Teo as kind of the guy who was out of the of the rotation that that Dagnall chose last night. He only played four minutes and he had played, he played like 28 minutes against the Clippers. And it was kind of like, okay, this is really a lot of Teo I'm seeing right now. And then against the Lakers, he barely even got onto the court. What, what, what do you think of like the Teo versus Jerome thing? That's kind of, I, I, I'm assuming your team uh, tied Jerome here, but I can also see why they're playing Teo because, you know, he's 20. Ty Jerome's 24, so there's an age difference. But how do you feel about the way that they're kind of managing those two right now? I think in the, it's important to play people who are not 20. I think it's important to have a 24-year-old Ty Jerome who played four years of college. He has a little bit of league experience under his belt. I think 24 is young enough that by the time we get back into playoff contention, he'll be peak age. He'll be 28, 29, maybe. That's mm-hmm. a little later. Push a little bit sooner, 26, 27. That's fine. I'll play him at 26, 27, playing his best basketball I really don't expect either of those two to be stars. And, I mean, if either of them pan out, cool. I don't expect that from them. So, give me the one that I think will be a better rotational player, and I think that's Ty Jerome. Now, we're talking about overall potential? Yeah, probably is Teo. Mm-hmm. But if I think if you want Teo to unlock that potential, you have to kind of give him 30 minutes in the starting lineup, and we can't do that. And it's just not angled that way. So, give me Ty Jerome. I think he can help the team more long-term for that reason. Well, and Teo – he just hasn't played well this wow. year. Like at the beginning, you know, last year at the end of the year, he had so much on his plate because he was like one of the only ball handlers in a lot of games that it's hard to even judge. But at the beginning of the year when the Thunder had their guys mostly, Teo definitely like showed flashes. He was a guy that people were excited about in the preseason and the beginning of the regular season. He made a lot of, he made a lot of plays that I think were pretty like basic plays but we're just so not used to seeing like guys off the bench being able to like drive a little bit and pass a little bit. We got pretty excited about Teo and I'm still excited about Teo, but I, I am with you that I think Jerome, he at least has that one skill, which is a very important skill in shooting. So I, I think it's more likely that he helps a team more if you're talking like a playoff team down the road than like Teo, who I think he's probably a backup point guard who like doesn't, he's just kind of fives across the board. He's a five out of 10 across the board, a couple threes, a couple sixes, maybe, you know, like he, he doesn't do anything exceptional, but he's not like, unless he continues to never make a shot again, he's not like, he's not any, he's not terrible at any one thing. Yeah. He's not going to hurt you, but he's definitely not going to help you a ton, but that's fine. I mean, some, some people have to play that role. Mm -hmm. So obviously I mentioned that he, he played the big minutes against the Clippers. Uh, the Thunder lose that game 99-94 on Monday of this week. They had a late lead. They were actually ahead almost the whole game. Um, and then kind of let slip away late. And if the Thunder didn't pull out the win on Thursday and Shea didn't hit the shot from the logo, 
we're probably doing 20 minutes of Darius Basley talk right now after <laughs> after that game. Basley has 15 points. He made some shots early, so he scored, but he had seven turnovers. And I think people hear seven turnovers and it's like, you know, other it's not something that never happens, but amongst like role players, that is something that should not happen and should never happen. Like that's like a, a Russell Westbrook, a James Harden. Like if Shea has seven turnovers, it's fine. Cause he has, and Giddy, like they have the ball, like Baisley may have the ball some, but he, I think I would say has the ball too much right now. He's trying to do too much, trying to dribble and get to the basket too much. What, what do you think of, what, what do you make of that performance by Baisley? And what do you make of just his spot in the rotation seemingly being so rock solid this year? Well, I'm just going to, well, I, I take it as a, him being rock solid as a starter. I think that's more so just Dig not putting his trust in him. And that's good for his confidence, honestly. And he might be a little bit overconfident we've seen with his game and his shot. But I think all of the slender for Baisley's, it goes beyond just that game. And I think that's why that game oh, yeah. was so frustrating. It's, it's issues we've seen over and over that seem correctable that just don't get corrected and they ended up costing us a game. Now, do we need that win? Not necessarily. I mean, who's going to... But if I think the reason why people are, were so frustrated is because that is one of three games that you can truly cheer for the Thunder and it doesn't hurt the draft pick. So it's like, and they were in that game and they probably should have won. And so that's like the one game where we can go back to kind of old Thunder fandom where we just melt down after, <laughs> after we lose. Oh, it felt good to be able to be mad at a loss again, but <laughs> I think... They say there's some good turnovers, and I think that's great if you're a point guard and you're learning what passes you can and can't make. I think when you're a power forward who mainly is going to get your buckets by cutting, layups, dunking, maybe occasional corner threes, those aren't great turnovers. I mean, that is a lot for someone who's not going to have their ball in the hands as much as someone as Shea or Giddy, and that's mm -hmm. really unfortunate. I think it's just been continuous issues, and that was kind of like the tip of the iceberg for me. It's kind of like, hey, this really sucks. And then I'll come out and – have a good first quarter against the Lakers like he did. Like, it's hard to make of what he will be. I think it's interesting that Dagnot keeps starting him and playing him as much as he is. I think that's mm -hmm. just showing, hey, I really trust you, and I think you can be a lot for us. And if Dagnot can see that in, in him, he's smarter than I am. So I'll let it ride out for now. The uh, I have Baisley's stats pulled up here. Yeah, it's only eight games. Very much time for, for this stuff to change. But through eight games, like – his shooting numbers have not changed at all this year. He's 39% from the field, which is what he was his first two years. He's 25% from three, which is within shouting distance of 29% last year. And then as a rookie year, he was 35, but that was only on two attempts a game. So not, not much volume there. So the main thing for him is going to be, he's just got to knock down shots and he's got to, he's got to finish better at, at the rim. Like he'll, he just looks awkward sometimes driving to the rim. He, it's kind of a little bit of the Jeremy Grant syndrome of old, where it's like, you can tell he really doesn't have a plan when he goes in there and he'll end up like jumping off the wrong foot and like, like airballing a right-handed layup, like hitting the backboard and, and hitting no rim. And it's just like, you know, weird stuff like that, that really hasn't improved. Like he, it, I don't know. It, it's a weird ride. It's been a weird ride with Bayes. And it's hard to talk about Bayes without talking about Poku. Um, because Poku, I think we all probably thought that Poku would play more than he has so far. Like even against the Clippers, 
he had nine points, five rebounds, one block, one steal. He's four or six from the field. Didn't have a turnover. Degnall said that may have been his best stretch, yet he only plays like 15 minutes in that game. It just makes me wonder, like, is there something going on? Like, is there just something that's not clicking, like, mentally with Poku yet? Like, there's got to be stuff going on, like, in practice, off the court, just, like, growing pains with him that that Degnall is really trying to – He, I mean, he said it. You got to eat your broccoli, and then you eat your Skittles, right? Like, that doesn't apply the Baisley, apparently, but it is really the real deal for, for Poku. I think it's almost a positive sign because you see Poku do something like that. That's going to build a young player's confidence. You know, you can go in and make that impact. You think, I'll, if I play more, I'll do it more. And while that's not realistic, you're not going to maintain that level of play forever. I mean, that'd be great if he did. It's just not realistic. I think it's good to see him go in there and play like that for small bursts. I think it kind of – it's a good learning lesson. Like, hey, you're not always going to get the shine and glory to do it for 30 minutes, but if you can go in and do it for 10, you're going to get praised for it. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think it's just kind of a good learning game. I'm sure Dignal has a more deeper meaning than that, and that's great. But, I mean, that's – it was a really positive thing to see. And if he can consistently give you minutes close to that, you're happy. And you honestly do want to start him over Baisley. So it's weird to see. I think eventually it's just kind of inevitable that Poku takes that power forward starting spot. I I hope so because, again, only eight games. So I'm really trying to restrain myself from any overarching takeaways yet. But I'm really close to, like – I don't think Baisley is a starter in this league. And I'm not that far away from saying I'm not sure if Baisley is the sixth or seventh best guy on a good team in the league. Now, he's still very young. I'm hesitant to give up on him because he's only 21. He's had the the bubble COVID year and then last year where they were completely tanking. So he's had kind of a weird start to his career. But I don't know. It's just – it's been frustrating – that he hasn't played better. And it's been a little bit frustrating and, and, and baffling. And again, you're right. Degnall is more knowledgeable about this than, than all of us, but we're fans and I'm going to, I'm going to have fan emotions. And I've just been a little frustrated with the amount of leeway that Baisley seems to get as opposed to mainly Poku. And then just like some, like obviously Trey man is, is a completely different position that down in the G league. And he's like another guy that Dagnall. I think Dagnall actually had the quote talking about the broccoli about Trey Man. So I don't know. Maybe it's just like this is uh, we talked about before the year. Like this is the year for Baisley. They've got to decide if they're going to pay him or not. Type of deal. Like maybe they're just we're playing them thirty minutes, good or bad. We're going to see what he's got, and we're making a decision. Like maybe maybe that's where we're at at this point. And it's a little bit early to talk about contract value, but I think it's a good thing to look at what he could get, what he realistically will get, and what would be a steal for him. I think mm-hmm. getting him for four years, $40 million, seems like it's like a player that young would be a good contract. And if it's not bad, it's a tradable contract, which there proves to be no untradable contract. But <laughs> if you pay him like somebody who's going to give you a third-best player 40 minutes – you're not gonna be able to trade that. I'm sorry. So I mean, that's gonna be yeah, and, to and, and 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 they're clearly not not even Rich Paul is getting uh, Darius Baisley back. No, of no. But the that, I think that just adds to a, a fun storyline for this season that kind of hasn't been talked about a lot. But 
it's kind of fun to think about what contract can you get in the future. Mm -hmm. and, and obviously whether or not it is, is with this team or sign and trade or, yeah. or what the deal is there. But I, I kind of mentioned Poku and we can jump into, we, we asked uh, for some questions this week. We, we did it a little bit late. It was a good idea by UK and I wish I would have thought about it um, sooner to maybe get more, but we've got a couple, uh, one serious one and then a couple of other fun ones from our guy, Bobby, we'll get to later. Uh, this is from Dexter Hudson on, on Twitter. What are y'all's realistic thoughts on Poku's growth potential this year? What would you like to see him get better at? I personally, we have to remember with Poku, I was looking at the, the top five, you know, the Kia, you know, top five rookies the other day. And it was Giddy was like five and then like Duarte, Mobley, uh, Scotty Barnes and Franz uh, Wagner were the five. I was looking at that. It's like, you know, Giddy is the youngest guy and Poku would be the second youngest guy on, on this list right now. Like that's, that's how young Poku still is in comparison to other guys in the league. He's probably one of the 20 youngest guys in the NBA or, or very close to it. Um, I think we probably shouldn't expect Poku to turn into a good NBA player this year yet. Cause he's still just so young. And you, you see the difference in like caliber of prospect, not ceiling, but just caliber of prospect between him and Giddy right now. Because Giddy gives you flashes every game. And he is like, there's not been a game yet where I've thought, boy, like Giddy is just killing the thunder. He's had bad plays, bad moments for sure. But never a game like that. Whereas like Poku, you just, you just don't know. But I think as far as like what I want to see him get better at, I think he, and I, this is probably why he's been in the doghouse a little bit minutes wise. I don't think his like engagement has been great in a lot of these games. He just kind of has had, he's had games preseason and early this season where you're just kind of out there, just kind of floating. Like he's, he's not really making the rotations on defense. He's just kind of floating around and, and getting, getting blown by or late on the rotations. Um, so I, I'd like to see that be more consistent. I think that's going to be a big step for him just to get more playing time. And I don't think it's coincidence that you see him knock down a shot early in the game the other day against the Clippers that, that pull up three in transition. And then it's like, okay, now all of a sudden Poku is as locked in and engaged as he's, as he's been all season. Got five rebounds, had a block and a steal. Like he he was awesome. He it wasn't an assist because it, it was a it was a hockey assist, but that pass he made like a hook shot over the head pass yeah. cross court that got kicked to the corner for the three. Just ridiculous. But I'd like to see Poku bring that kind of uh, a kind of motor and effort that he showed after he started scoring in every game or at least you know most games every game's a little unrealistic right now but i i want to see that motor without the offense working uh i'm pretty much the same on the fact that i'm completely bought in on what skillfully he can bring to the table i mean his potential on that in a sky high same for defense just because the way he's built his athleticism what it could be it's the same thing. I want to see him make more winning plays. I want him to make good weak side rotations to get a cool block, run the floor, make something happen. Some winning plays, whether that's just staying in front of your man and making him pass out and on a late shot clock play. I mean, it's just it's simple things that I think is another reason he's not going to play. And 
obviously, again, he would be the second youngest on that top five list. So mm-hmm. I don't expect that from him yet. And I think it's good to let him be bad, but just be skillful. But I think eventually he's got to flip that switch, lock in, make the winning play, mix that in with your talent. I mean, he's going to be talented. He's going to make cool shots. Mm-hmm. We've seen that from him. And I think that's half the reason he's looked really bad is because it's just relying on skill. And sometimes that doesn't work in the NBA. And that's been proven a lot. I think he's at least made a little progress in that regard because like, do you remember his first game last year? Um, Like he had, he had like, maybe it was the first preseason game against the Spurs. He had like the most ridiculous behind the back pass, like turnover. I think I've ever seen an NBA game. And he was like, throw up an air ball, like lay up off the backboard, then great play. Like we're getting less of that roller coaster. Like we've had, it's, it's less fun for us to be clear because part of the fun of Poku is just the ridiculousness of him, good and bad. So we've had less like Poku crazy stuff in a bad way, but you know, it, it, even if he's not doing the great things yet, it's just the fact that we haven't, there's been less like, Oh my God, what is Poku doing out there? That's at least progress for me. And, and then a very surface level thing that he should be able to improve because he's he's got a good looking shot. He's still only shooting 25% from three. It's only on two and a half attempts. So pretty small sample size. Obviously he was 28% last year. He must have started like 10%, 15% early in the season last year and then built that up. But but obviously you'd like to see him knock more shots down because like theoretically Poku is a four who can block some shots, uh, handle a little bit maybe run the offense uh, through or have like a nice two-man game with and have him distribute out of that uh, as a big guy and and knock down shots. So I just want to see him knock down some more shots, quite frankly. Yeah, and I think he really does have the potential to become that unicorn player that we all expected out of him. I think it is just way too soon to see any of that come to fruition quite yet. Mm -hmm. And I think he's just going to be, like you said, just a fun player to have around for who knows how long. I mean – his floor, while it's also low, I think it's more reasonable for him to hit that potential. It, it's funny. I think – I'm glad you said it that way about it. It's fun to have him around because let me tell you, I think Poku was about the only thing that got me through um, a lot of the end of the season last year. And ho- hopefully we get to see some more Poku flashes soon because he's he's just a, a joy in, in his potential. I mean, there, there's a reason why – like the ringer and like all these places we're doing like videos and stories on poker, even though the thunder we're losing every game. It's like the guy's just insane. And, and all of, all of the best ways, quite frankly, but you know, the transition from that national media coverage, which was good to the national media coverage of the last, eh, we'll say week, week and a half, really since before the season, but it picked up steam last week before the first Lakers win they came back from 26 points down that was like nine days ago from today um you know what i'm not going to get too into the weeds on on what was said and i'm also really not i think everyone who's listening to this Cade, probably knows the thunder are doing what they're doing because they have to right like i think that's been drilled into all of our heads and we've drilled it into everyone's heads enough at this point that everyone understands even if they don't like it I think 90% of people realize uh, on this fan base, the reasonable ones, at least. Yeah. I think, I think they've got a tank. Yeah. I think people have done a good job of responding to the bad criticism. Like legit, we had a very good game last night and SGA was phenomenal. And there was some tweets 
I'm not going to say by who, but basically saying we're wasting his talent. We put mm-hmm. out a win against a good – without LeBron, they're still a good team. And I think it's more so discrediting us as a team, giving Shea his flowers, discrediting the Lakers as a team, and just giving Shea his flowers. The team played good. Shea played good. I think I think it's almost become cool to give the Thunder a negative connotation for everything that happens, good or bad. Is it is it just because they have all of the picks? Is that why? I kind of think that's why. I, I think I think it's almost how they're doing it and not why they're doing it. I think it's mm-hmm. it's not like you see teams tank like the Hornets slash podcast because they think for that long, they switched their name. I think they were bad for so long <laughs> that it just was normal for them to be bad. We were good for so long. And then when it got bad, we resorted to a tank when they just tank naturally because they weren't a good basketball team. They didn't know how to succeed as a basketball team. I think mm-hmm. everyone knows Sam Presti smart. He traded out of a bad situation after Russell Westbrook's MVP year, put talent around him and made a good team that had a lot of potential and I think team people look at that and they're like, well, this is what could be like, obviously it doesn't happen that fast. And that situation, Sam Presti turned from not great to pretty good. You can't expect that to happen in every situation. This one situation got worse. I mean, you trade stars, you had a contending team, you have to strip it down and people see that and they're like, well, you did like, I think it's just the process of how we did it and the timing of it. Mm-hmm. Um, where, where people lose, like there, there was obviously the, the, the guy in the athletic who who said that there was at least light at the end of the tunnel for the process sixers and it's like okay man like clearly you don't remember what the process sixers um was like uh back, back then and also like i've heard people make this point um thunder people uh thunder podcast thunder people on twitter whatever like the thunder were in the playoffs one calendar year ago it's like people are treating this like they've been tanking for like three four years already but it's been literally one year like chris paul was on the team like 13 months ago still like it it has really not been that long so that that's the first point the second point is like i I, again i think it's just the picks and i i like why are the people not yelling that the kings are wasting De'Aaron fox why like why does no one care at the Cavs have literally not won more than like 25 games without LeBron since I was like you know five years old and LeBron was not in the league yet like people people care but not not like this you even have Cavs people who who were making the jokes about the Thunder um on Twitter too it's like the Pistons like the Pistons just got Cade like I know Cade's been not great so far but like they're still looking pretty bad. Like maybe the Thunder should have just went and signed some veterans like the Pistons and then still been just as terrible, right? Like, and I also think people, we just talk out of both sides of our mouth when it comes to to situations like this. Cause you look back to the Pelicans when they had Anthony Davis, not that Shea is Anthony Davis, but what they do, they sped the process up. They signed all of those guys to very bad contracts and they were stuck. They, They couldn't do anything else to improve in that small market like the thunder do not want to find themselves in that situation and it's like in order to sign guys in a small market you have to sign those like mid to big contracts and those are usually the ones that end up being the laughably bad contracts and i the thunder just aren't going to do that i think it's different because i don't think people I think they're judging without even watching. And you see that a lot, especially with national media, when teams are not that good. But I'm not going to speak for every other Thunder fan, but 
post Westbrook era, I've had more fun than I had in the last two years of the Westbrook era. And that's no knock on Westbrook, but with Chris Paul, you saw an underdog team. Just the, the, burden, the burden of expectations and the burnout of having yeah. that burden for Thunder fans. It had been a long time. It, yeah. it was real. It was, a, it was very real. You're 100% And, and just being correct. that underdog and, like, making a, the playoffs with a good seed and, like, making some noise and having that game seven door, that was fun. And back then, nobody was, you know, criticizing yet. We tear it down for that next season. We have Al Horford. We over – we play above expectations for the first half of the season until Shea had a real injury. Which yeah, also that that people still apparently don't believe that exactly. it was real, even though he didn't play for his national team after he had said he wanted to. Exactly. And so that was fun for the first half of the season overplaying. I mean, the first game of the year was a game winner against Charlotte. Like it's just, it, it was fun for the first half of the year. The second half of the year was fun for different reasons. We got to look at people we didn't get to see at the beginning of the season because you lose your best player. So for us Thunder fans, it was fun for national media. That'd be like, Oh, I don't want to watch the Thunder team without their star. But that's more understandable than this season, which has been just fun looking at the upside, you know, actually winning two good games, playing the Clippers close. Like, other than the blowouts, which have been half the games, but you, you could just see the potential of having a fun team that is honestly in a better position than probably like five or six teams that there are today. Oh, yeah, they're, they're, they're in a great spot. Obviously, there's still a lot of work to be done, but – you'd rather start from where they're starting with in the rebuild than Detroit, than Orlando, where it's like those teams tanked. They got higher picks than the Thunder, but the Thunder already had Shea, already had a million other picks. And see, here's the thing. Like, if Giddy is the hit that it looks like he could be, and they hit on a pick in this draft or in the draft after or both, but let's just say one of, let, let's just say they take, you know, they take Chet or they take Paulo in this upcoming draft, and that guy is a star. Like they're gonna be good quicker than people think. And uh, like because then that's when you trade your picks to to bring in a disgruntled star or to bring in some guys that that can help you do something. And it's like people talk about these picks like they're like, oh, well, they, they can't even make all these picks. Like, well, yeah, no, duh. Like, no, duh, they're going to have to trade some of these picks, right? Like, come on. And I think it's obvious with the amount of picks we have and the players with the skill sets that we have that obviously what we're going to do is pretty much anyone can see what we're trying to do. Anyone who wants to just look at it for 30 seconds, look at what picks we have, what players we have, it's pretty obvious what angle the thunder are going with and i don't know why that has to even be a discussion i mean it's obvious they're going to unload the war chest when it's time mm-hmm. and try and make a winning push it's like if what you, do people want to do trade for ben simmons right now like what, exactly, what is that like, going to do there's no there's nothing that we could do to make us not trade I mean, for make, bradley beal if he asks out great exactly. yeah, Shea and and beal on like two more years of his contract and great. that's going to get us what a play in and maybe like a somehow barely scratching into the actual playoffs not really worth it not the best long-term Presti is going to try and build a dynasty because that's what every team's goal is. And the quickest way for us to get there is by hurry up and wait. That's all we can really do. It's the best way I can describe it. Hurry up and wait. Mm-hmm. For sure. Okay. We can, we can hop into two funny questions from our guy, Bobby in, in discord, and then we can get out of here. So the first one, <laughs> so the first one, how many points could you score on Michael Cage in his church league? And then the second one, which is really ties into the first one depending on your answer or could you score a single bucket against the cage meister bobby called which i've never heard the cage meister i kind of like that though um 
could you score a single bucket? And if the answer is yes, how many do you think you would score on, on Michael Cage and his vaunted church league? I think if we're playing five on five in the church league, I get picked up on the other side and we match up with each other. I'm going to score until he decides to get out of the paint and guard me. <laughs> when I was in high school, I was a shooter who did not go inside the lane, but maybe once or twice a game. Mm-hmm. So until Michael Cage wants to get rid of his traditional old school ways and come out of the paint and guard me, I'm just going to keep shooting threes, let him fly. Mm-hmm. So it just depends. You know, you know, I'm not in like the best physical condition by any means, but I think not, I, I don't know. I, I, I wonder like what kind of shape do you think Michael Cage is in? Like think, you think Cage is like in good shape, like really getting up and down? Or do you think Cage is just like parked in the paint getting those rebounds? In these it, games? Depends, it depends. I kind of think he's just parked in the paint getting the rebounds. I think so too. I think he's, he wants to look like he's got all the rebounds and all the stats like the old heads do. They want to, they want to get credit for getting the rebound, but not for playing defense. So in his church leagues, I think this is supposed to be in his church league and then and then one-on-one. At least that's how I'm gonna, gonna take these questions. In this church league, it really depends for me. Are we playing like YMCA like full court where we're going the full court is really only half court, you know, across? Do you get know what I'm saying? Or yeah. if we're going real full court. If we're going real full court, man, I am I am le- I, I am leaking out, I am cherry picking, I'm, I'm trying to get like 10 points off of uh just the, the lazy old guy is not wanting to get back on defense. If sure. not, that pr- that probably hampers me a little bit, but I'm with you. I am 100% just parking it outside the three-point line because that, that was my game in, in high school as well, was a, was a three-point shooter. So I I would park it outside the paint. You know what? I'd give myself like, I, I'd say like seven points. I, we'll go like one free throw uh, and a pair of three. One, one free throw, a three-pointer get out in transition and for an am one maybe too like i i think i'd score a little bit and then one-on-one honestly how that would probably go is he checks up to me once i shoot it immediately because he's not ready and hope that one goes on goes in and if that one doesn't go in i'm not sure i get a bucket or not because he's probably guarding me a little bit harder in one-on-one than he is uh in the church league yeah, and that, that first shot really just sets the tone. I mean, if you make it, you're making every other shot. If you miss it, you're probably not going to hit a three, and you have to rely on a layup that you're probably going to get blocked on. Well, if I'm playing him one-on-one, like, can I have a ref come call fouls? Like, Cage exactly. is going to foul me at least 25 times and in a one-on-one game, right? He, he's he's going to foul me. He's going to call me partner every time he does it. It's, it's going to be a whole thing. Yeah, and – I want to know about how his perimeter defense is now that he's uh, been out of the league for a while. I want to know, can he stay in front of someone like me who is just 18 years old and full of energy? So say you're playing a game to 11 ones and and two pointers are worth one point, three pointers are worth two points. What's your final score against Michael Cage in that one-on-one game, do you think? If the first shot goes in and we're playing make it, take it, (laughs) I'm going to go ahead and go with 12 and 0. I'm going to pass 11 because I only shoot threes. <laughs> if I miss the first shot. It might be like 11 to three. I might get a couple layups in there. I'm, I'm going to give myself an 11 to three loss. And, and here, and here's where I'm at. So I, I'm going to say I'm confident enough. That I'm going to make that first shot. Cause like I'm, I'm putting everything in that shot. If I know I'm playing one-on-one with cage, I am shooting at least 200 top of the key threes before I get there that day. Um, and then, you know what, I, I'm not a ref, but like, I've got another adult there who is like, not really calling fouls, but like 
there's going to be something egregious that happens where he makes Cage feel bad and Cage gives me a free throw and I make that. That's my third point. I'll take you. I'll take all the free throws <laughs> I can get in a one-on-one pickup game. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. 11 to 3. 11 to 3 loss for me. Katie, anything else that we, we should – I guess we should just mention who they play real quick this week, the Thunder, that is, before, before we hop out of here. So they get the Spurs at home, at the Pelicans, and then the Kings to wrap up the week. What's the win-loss record if we're talking um, after those three games next week? I'm going to go two and one just because – Really? Of- wow. I think if you're Shea, you're riding high and you're going to go try and get those buckets. I think if you're the rest of the team, you have confidence. You just beat the Los Angeles Lakers, one of the top teams in the West. Not standings, but just skill-wise, twice. You're probably feeling pretty confident. You can pull out at least two of those games against teams who have been in the give or take 8 to 15 seed range for the past few seasons. Mm -hmm. I really want to say that they're going to beat the Pelicans, but that's the one that's on the road. And obviously, just won the road last night. So, really, how big a factor is that? Really, I'll I'll give the uh, I'll give the Falcons that game. I can't decide. I'll give the Falcons that game, but they're going to beat one of the Spurs and Kings at home. I think I, I'm going to say I wanted to, but they're they're going to pick up a win and inch ever closer to that nine win mark that that Zach Lowe had him pegged for um, potentially. Uh, say he was gonna said they're gonna challenge that at least I think last week on his podcast they're they're getting there they're they're gonna pass that I think like in, in March but for sure and I just <laughs> want to justify my pick a little bit why I said two uh-huh. wins is because uh well these young guys and their home crowd they didn't get to play in front of the home crowd last year I think it's kind of a thrill for them every home game they get to play in front of the home crowd and the energy I don't think they quite got to experience it all the way last year I think it's beneficial for them Mm-hmm. Well, I've got a tip for you, Spurs. If you need to, to close out the game, you better guard Ludor on, on the wing this year. <laughs> and that, I think, is going to do it for this episode of the Boomtown Hoops podcast. Go to boomtownhoops.com. Bobby's got a great article up where basically you just get to relive uh, Shay's shot from Thursday night against the Lakers from about every different angle or or whatever that you want to. We're at Boomtown Hoops on Twitter and Facebook, at Boomtown.Hoops on Instagram. Join that Discord that was actually just tweeted out with the Q&A, I think, tonight. So join that, come chat in there. And we will talk to you guys, some of the Boomtown folks, after the next game. But as for the two of us and the other podcast co-hosts, we will talk to you fairly soon, sometime next week.